Hello, I'm Sisset K. Faber. Hi, I'm Phone. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Sisset K. Faber, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I don't think I have anything to plug this time, but I will say that you can find me on Twitter at uh, same name, Sisset K. Faber. So if, like, if you're a cisgender, heterosexual person who likes wrestling, um, that's not me. I'm a uh, trans person who doesn't really like wrestling, but had to pretend to be a cisgender, heterosexual person. <laughs> you, had to, you had to pretend to like wrestling. Yeah, that that kind of thing. So um, you can find me on Twitter at that handle. I mean, it's a real heel move to not be into wrestling, but to, you know, use the language of wrestlers. It's cultural appropriation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, so I'm phone. I guess I don't have anything to plug. All right. Are we ready to start on some topics? Yes. Yes, topics. I desire them. Uh, Sis, your topic is calculus ruined idle games for me. Yeah, so I... Um... I messed up writing this topic because idle games is kind of a pejorative in the community that plays these kinds of games. Oh, what what? Yeah. What does the community prefer? Incremental games. Okay, I will I will go ahead and change that in the in the bucket. But <laughs> I still it, refer to them as idle. Sure. Games, but would you prefer I don't change it in the bucket? I mean, whatever is in here is going to go into the show notes. Well, as long as you don't call them IGs, I mean, the the initials are still I and G, but IG usually stands in for Instagram. So as long as you don't call them IGs, I think we'll be okay. Yeah. Um. So yes, in that case, yes, you should change it in the bucket. Mm-hmm. And uh, so thank you for doing that. But incremental games are games where the sort of public perception of them is that these are games you don't play. You just wait for things to happen. But for real what these games are are puzzle games where progress is gated by time but if you mess with the mechanics enough and you understand the systems enough you can do things faster um and so like instead of having a high score um it's sort of like golf where the time completed is lower if you're better at it well first what is a example of a incremental game um there's a good example of uh trimps is a game where you have these tiny beings you control and you send them into the world to fight for you and it it looks like uh a spreadsheet or plc screen and it's very fun um and there are ngu idol or uh uh what oh is adventure capitalist is a big one like like adventure communist uh are pretty yeah pretty good examples well would you count uh cookie clicker Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Cookie Clicker is probably... I, I have never played Cookie Clicker, so I don't think of it, but that's probably, yeah, the most Dang, famous cold. One, yeah. Cold. I mean, I know that another big one is uh, Universal Paperclips. Yeah, a lot of people like that. Yeah. Anyway, sorry for the digression, but figured least level set. Yeah, I mean, I, hey, uh, I did a bad job, and I'm, I'm happy that you did a better job. So, uh, So the reason that Calculus ruins these games is that the way that I was educated about, like, calculus was in a vacuum. Like, we had a calculus class, and I learned a whole bunch of stuff about, like, derivatives and things like that. And then I also took physics, and the physics class was hell-bent on never mentioning calculus. (laughs) Uh, So even though the inventors of calculus, Newton and Leibniz, are, you know, there's a big overlap there. There's a big reason why you would want to learn calculus to understand physics but incremental games are about change over time which is very similar to like acceleration and speed or rate of acceleration and 
I didn't realize that for a long time. And then recently I realized it. And then I started to think about my progress through these games at the same way I thought about, you know, calculus derivatives and graphs of functions and curves. A lot of these games have a component where they will tell you how long something will take to finish. Like you'll hover over it with your mouse and it'll say like, this is going to take 36 years. And at that point, you know, you got to figure something out. Like you, there's just no way that you, you have you have misunderstood something or you need to accomplish something like uh, or it'll take like, oh, this is going to take one day. And you're like, OK, I'm on the correct thing. And if you start thinking about that as uh, the curve that you are on based on the way that you have played and you think about your place on it. These games are aggressively showing you that information. And a lot of people find these games very opaque. Uh, but to me, they have become, I've become more bored with them because that information tells me exactly where I am on what curve. And I also know what the developer intends roughly by like reading what other people's experiences are that, that have finished it. So, um, so calculus has kind of ruined these games for me. <laughs> And so is there a thing for for either of you where your understanding of like higher level mathematics or physics or something has like ruined something for you in a weird way? So uh, this isn't exactly the question that you're asking. However, uh, one of these is a fun fact um, and the other one is more along the lines of math. Uh, so the fun fact is that, you know, you mentioned that uh, speed is a derivative of acceleration. However, do you know what acceleration is a derivative of? Oh, isn't it jerk? It's jerk. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. It's the rate of acceleration, you know, like like over seconds cubed, I guess. Yeah, you'd have to cube it, yeah. Just, just, just saying jerk is pretty funny, uh, just as a unit of measurement. But uh, the the other thing that's like just about math in general is that um, taking uh, – going the engineering route uh, for school and whatnot, I took a boatload of math, which included a boatload of physics – and, you know, fun stuff such as differential equations, which I'm sure would probably really, really ruin idle games or incremental games, rather. I mean, I did I did that stuff. I took AP physics. I took AP calculus. Like, I... Well, DivVQs is, like, really, really different, though. I mean, I remember doing that. I remember them being explained and, and doing oh, yeah. it for a test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember any of it, so maybe if I restudied <laughs> it, it would ruin it more. You are correct. Yeah, well, I, I mean, like, like... DiffyQs is weird just because, like, it's a lot of, like, okay, you have, you know, stuff coming in, you have stuff going out uh, type of deal. I guess incremental, uh, yeah, incremental games doesn't have that issue. But uh, the one that is just kind of mind-blowing where you can easily ruin, like, uh, like a child's mathematical, like, career is if you teach them about linear algebra before they take any sort of calculus or anything like that. Because linear uh. algebra is cheating at math. Like, you spend all this time, you spend all this effort, you know, you, like, do all this rote memorization, and you're, like, you know, trying to figure out, you know, all this stuff out by hand. Then linear algebra is just like, yo, what if you put it into a matrix and uh, row reduce? And you have the answers immediately. <laughs> yeah, I think you told me about that back when I was studying 3D graphics, uh, like, at the, like, when I first started studying 3D graphics. I still don't have an intuitive understanding of matrix math, even though... I've been paid to do a lot of it and write stuff that uses a lot of it. Um, and so I want to know what it's like to think with the brain that is broken by that. I mean, 
I don't think particularly well in, in matrices. However, like there's some very, very like straightforward algorithms that just basically make like solving for systems of equations completely trivial. Like you just iterate on this algorithm and then, you know, two minutes later you have, you have solved a multi-dimensional problem and you've solved for all the coefficients and stuff by, uh, was it like eigenvalues and eigenvectors and stuff. And, and this makes you sad because you're not solving a puzzle anymore. I mean... I no longer have to deal with any math. I took the coward's uh, way out and um, got a job programming right. and uh, dealing with uh, such problems such as uh, decimals. Counting. Yeah, yeah. So uh, apparently apparently, precision is very, very hard. Like uh, this isn't a dig against JavaScript or anything like that, but like um, they really like floats and floats are very, very bad if you uh, actually need like no, no, no! I need two decimal places, and that's it. Yeah, JavaScript only has floats, and we shouldn't talk about that right now because that should be a, <laughs> a separate topic later. Right. Um, but like, I think I think Jim's thing was like, you know, in in what way does it does it break it right? And Jim's thing was like, uh, because it's not a puzzle anymore. And I think uh, Phone's point here is just that you know, depending on the context or the direction in which you approach things, it can be easier or harder to understand. And so if you do linear algebra too early, then the standard explanation for later stuff becomes uh, like very boring to you. And so they're going to spend three weeks on something that will take you like a day to understand because it's just like, why? The, of course it works that way. And I think that would have been my same experience if I had gone from AP physics to calculus instead of from AP calculus to physics. Uh. Yeah, the, the whole writing the curve and like, you know, like it, it's it's kind of difficult to kind of uh, to explain this in a succinct way as I'm doing right now. Uh, but like the weird maximization and optimization problems that incremental games have is somewhat similar to uh, like what I found like doing auto racing and things like that, where, you know, you are trying to optimize for, you know, shorter distance means a faster time, higher average speed means a faster time and kind of picking and choosing, you know, where you're like, where you're at there. Uh, you know, this isn't getting into uh, areas where, you know, you're talking about like, you know, horsepower torque figures and things like that. But um, when talking about like car performance, like you want to optimize the area under the curve, like the peak number is one thing, but if you have more area under the curve, that's better. And, you know, that's the integral part uh, of the calculus versus uh, what you're talking yes. about, which is the derivative, which is the rate of change. So, yeah. And I should have, I should have flagged that because like, when I say like, I spend my time thinking about like points on the curve, like I'm not actually thinking about that. I'm actually thinking about area under the curve because a lot of the, the way that you play these games is that your progress on, you know, a lot of these games have a sort of roguelike element where you restart a lot. Um, and it's not randomly generated, but it's just like you just restart your prestige or whatever. Um, and so what that means is that your progress on any single run is an area under the curve. And so I spend a lot of my time thinking about like, what, what what's the shape of this curve based on what I know? And then what's the area under the curve in terms of like my progress and what does it need to look like? What's the jerk of your progress? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the jerk of my progress? And that jerk is me. Uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, I found a list. So change in acceleration is called jerk. Change in jerk is called jounce. Change in jounce is hyper jerk. 
Hyper change in hyper jerk is meta jounce. Change in meta jounce is binge warp. Change in binge warp is migrational spank. Change, <laughs> change in migrational spank is barf lurch. Change in barf lurch is dark jaunt. Dark jaunt, okay. Change in dark jaunt is catastrophic snap. Change in catastrophic snap is whip fuck. And change in whip fuck is Newton's torment. So that's the uh, that's the canonical. Li- this was, by the way, this was made up. This was uh, um, Tom Francis wrote this during the development of Heat Signature. He wrote this blog post about ah uh, right yeah gotcha 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 about his disappointment that after jounce there's nothing. I was gonna say that that sounds really made up, but it's very fun. Also, it, it's a poem. It, it kind of is, isn't it? I was fooled by it, and uh, and and unfortunately caught me off guard. So I did clip a little, but. Um, like, like I knew Jounce, and like it sounded probable, it sounded likely, but uh, it's also one of those things where things in physics is uh, is like weird. Like warp is a real aerodynamic like phenomenon. Like that is what it is called to kind of you know like calculate the aerodynamic defect of things. Uh, like uh, in particular, talking about like racing, where like warp is basically like the uh, the arrow effect of the car being sucked into the road. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring up auto racing because there's a there's a good parallel here and it's it's why I don't love a lot of the incremental game community, which is that there's a certain part of the inter- incremental game community. It's and maybe it's similar to like the Dark Souls community or something where like they are trying to optimize it so much to the point that they believe that if you're not optimizing it that way, that it's just like not worth it to play the game. And they say it's like a bad game. And if you would were to project that on auto racing, they'd be like, oh, if you can't get like the best time on the track, it's not worth it to even learn to drive. And it's like, I don't think that's true. I think it's still fun to kind of drive on a track. The the, the, the similar thing there is just it, it's it's called bench racing. It's just like, you know, being an armchair quarterback type of deal and being like, oh, you know, if you don't have X number of horsepower, if you don't, if you're not making this sort of progress, if you're not hitting these breakpoints or whatever, uh, I'm saying breakpoints as in like, uh, like breaking something, not like breaking as in like uh, coming to a stop. Because I, because not that big thing with the incremental games are uh, breakpoints in terms of like you, all of a sudden your rate of change increases dramatically after once you have, you know, figured out a piece of the puzzle right and this is the thing that has ruined them is that uh the bench racers well the bench racers (laughs) but then also like because uh the way that they give you the information makes it very clear that that rate of change is now very different um you now are working through a maze instead of you're not working through like a like a like a problem where you're having to optimize you're now working through a maze of the designers, not intent, but the the product of their design. Yeah. And so it it becomes about it becomes kind of the worst kind of puzzle in the worst of these, where you're having to intuit the mind of the designer rather than work with the mechanics themselves. I feel like um, when you were talking about the community becoming obsessed with optimizing progress. I think that sort of thing is kind of inevitable for this sort of like a, for a game that's it's not PVP, but it's still somehow forming a multiplayer community. I feel like 
the kind of people who aren't optimizing will just play the game once and be done with it and never form a community. And so the pe- the people who stick around are going to be the people who are obsessing. It's also one of those things like, uh, obviously, Sased has a lot more firsthand experience with this, but games like NGU Idol, like, if you play this, like, you know, if you're actively playing this every day, like, you know, not like clicking on things or whatever, but if you're solving the puzzles, going through everything, it still takes you like a year to hit, you know, whatever the equivalent of credits would be. So, like, everybody's kind of on the same journey and there's, you know, community resources to kind of optimize and kind of, you know hey, here's the solution to some of these puzzles. And if you do all this right, then it'll only take you a day and a half versus, you know, a few days. But it's kind of the long tail of these that is um, a little bit interesting and kind of different from other games. Yeah, and my and my point on that is that these, these optimization people, they I think they do it for the love of the game mostly, because I think you're right that... When you actually look at like what time is saved, like there's a there's actually a speed running community for NGU Idol. That's pretty funny. It's very small, and they mostly do like uh they do botting, so they write scripts and stuff, so it's like tool assisted. But uh, th- there's a there's an like for an idle game where like I don't know what the completion time is on it, but it's in months, right? Whereas like as Phone pointed out, like if you play NGU Idol, like if you just sort of casually play it, it's probably gonna take you about a year and a half to finish. Um, but if you play it optimally, I would imagine that you could finish it in a, in a like eight months or something. But you have to do insane things like to do that. And so like the difference between like hyper optimization and how hard that is to actually do, versus like um what it is to play the game casually is not that different. I think that's like the same as Dark Souls, right? Whereas like uh, when you play the game non-optimally, like you could play the game poorly and have a really bad experience. That's true. There are uh, edge cases at the bottom, right? But the difference between like a okay playthrough and like a hyper-optimized playthrough is like not that great, although that's not really true now that I think about it because like speedrunners can like three hit <laughs> bosses in Dark Souls. So like I don't, I'm talking nonsense right now these games are kind of a feedback loop where the faster you go the faster all your future progress is as well so i actually would have uh, that's not so true okay the, the things that the scale changes is that like um, yeah I, like, like i remember that playing uh, i think it was a venture capitalist a little bit where like the, the numbers quickly go completely ridiculous like you know the first few loops you're talking in the scales of thousands or millions and then the numbers just became made up is like you know sex 10 quipple you know aliens or whatever so it's kind of like playing a jrpg and trying to hit level 99 in the starting area yes you can stay in the starting area and kill slimes for the better part of 90 hours and hit max level but if you actually play the game and kind of ride the curve you know you can get there ironically a little bit sooner because the game is scaling with you yeah, and the reason it's like that is because the math gets so out of control for these games, and it gets out of control for the designers as well as the players. And in a lot of cases, the players understand the math better than than the designers. And so what the de- what the designers have ended up doing is they they that's why Phone was talking about like breakpoints, right? That is that um you know there's there's kind of milestones within the game, and once you reach them, your progress. And all your numbers go up much faster, but then the place you need to be also becomes further away. So um, they're actually designed very similarly to traditional games, even if it's very obfuscated. Yeah, that's interesting. 
Are we uh, ready for another topic? Yeah. I believe so. Uh, phone, your topic is SFF PCs are ridiculous and hilarious. Yes, they are both ridiculous and hilarious, and um, I have one. And uh, so SFF is small form factor. So how, how small are we talking? So the unit of measurement that the community, uh, once again, you know, in quotes or whatever, uses is liters. So um, keep in mind, this is like a, a full PC. This is, you know, parsing and buy off the shelf and stuff like that. So there's different like, you know, motherboard sizes. Uh, the most common ones will be ATX or MATX. Uh, and there's also another type uh, called ITX, which are the smaller of them. So I built this PC back in 2019 originally, and I got a small form factor case for it, but it's kind of big and I had a massive cooler and stuff like that in it. You need I think to compare I... it to like a cat or a hand fruit. We need, we need uh, scale information. Um, so, so I want you to imagine what 26.8 liters looks like in three dimensional <laughs> space. I'm, I'm so bad at calculus. That's bro. huge. <laughs> That's enormous. That's like I got a printer here. That's like the size of a desk chair. Uh, I mean, it depends on how you count and what form it takes. You know, I'm, I'm thinking more of about you know rectangular, cubic type shapes, but uh, it, it is it is pretty big for a what what is supposedly a a uh, a small form factor build. So is this is this an ironic hobby name like Little John and Robin Hood, like funny cars? <laughs> <laughs> those those are hilarious. So, so the case that I came from was pretty big, like just in terms of, you know, the size and stuff. Like I had like, you know, a bunch of fans in it. I had like a full tower cooler and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. The ENIAC used to go in a room. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, so, 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 so my, so my miniature ITX, you know, case, my, uh, you know, it was pretty big. It was like on the size, it's basically like a slightly shrunken down, like mid ATX case. But uh, over Christmas, I decided that I didn't want to spend a bunch more money on a new PC. So I decided to rehouse my current one into a much smaller one. Uh, re- rehome? Yes. You're, you're, you're rehoming your PC? Uh, that's problematic. Uh, well, it's not so much rehoming as it is uh, saving like $500 on a new motherboard because Intel and AMD have gone nuts. But uh, the case that I that I moved it into is like this custom one-off thing, and uh, I mean it's available. Uh, it's 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 kind of a joke and stuff. But uh, I went from like twenty-seven liters down to a nine point nine five liter case. So the case is okay, smaller. So, so by the way, I just did a conversion, and twenty-six liters is just under one cubic foot. I mean, if you have a good reference point for what a cubic foot looks like, I mean, and yeah. are you trying to like not tell us how big these things are for a reason or something? Is is it a loaf of bread? The old case I had was uh, two hundred uh, millimeters by three hundred thirty millimeters by four hundred millimeters. Uh, I can't do the conversion in my head for inches uh, at this point, but that was the size of the old case. And let me go take a look at the uh, new one real quick. Sorry, I'm uh, terribly unprepared on this. No, but like um, the thing that I want, right? Like, you know how big your shoe is, right? Yeah. Like how many shoes is this? So the new case is much small, is like a shoe box without any of the fluff. Uh, once again, it's hard to describe these things, but the, the, the thing is that like the old case was 200 by 300 by 400. The new case is 135 by 2200 by uh, 335. So it's much smaller and it's smaller to the point where um, they do this thing called like a sandwich layout. So usually you have a motherboard and then you slot in stuff and like 
most importantly, or most commonly, the graphics card is perpendicular to the motherboard. So you slot in the graphics card and it, you know, it kind of makes a T-shirt. Right, but how is the motherboard seated? Because if you say perpendicular, I need a reference point for how the other, what is perpendicular to. Okay, so, so, so usually the motherboard goes on the bottom of the case and then the video card will go perpendicular to the... Uh, the the motherboard there. So the video card is basically the width of the case and like the motherboard is on the uh, height and length like uh, parameters there. Uh, the, once again, this is all very, very e- more easy to visualize, uh, you know, not in audio, which is perfect for describing 3d space right but i'm just gonna i'm just i i'm this is not a bit and i'm not trying to be mean to you i really promise but you still have not told us i mean you did say shoebox and that's true however if you just give analogies to real world things like loaves of bread cases of soda like we might be able to understand like a lot better i looked this up a parakeet is 46 milliliters (laughs) (laughs) so um uh, 26 liters. 26 liters is 13 two liters of Coke. <laughs> Shove you in a locker. <laughs> so it, it's so 26 liters is about 565 parakeets. That's what I've got. <laughs> oh, I'm dying. Uh, what was the other one? Nine liters? So, 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 so the new one is nine liters. So I posted a picture into the chat as to what this looks nine like. Nine liters is 195 parakeets, which is way less. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 i just posted two pictures uh in 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 the chat which is great for uh for everybody listening at home uh, yeah you need to get a banana in there or something okay so 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 for reference those fans in the front are 140 millimeters each what is that in parakeets all right listen assholes listen assholes i got you i got you i know how big that ribbon cable is so this actually works for me okay um, okay meanwhile the intel nook is like the size of a paperback book like it's it's not a nook you're thinking of the barnes and noble oh nice Uh, nice you've got a novelty enormous soda can in the in the frame (laughs) (laughs) that is not a tall boy that is a standard can (laughs) which is 335 milliliters Okay, this is a small PC. Yes, uh, so so that this PC is now currently behind uh, my 34-inch monitor, and uh, in terms of how many I can fit behind my monitor, I would say about four. <laughs> uh, we've been using parakeets up until this point. If you could put it in parakeets. Okay, uh, are we talking about like you know like do do they need recreational room like you know how many par- like are we just talking about like clown car like stuffing them in there <laughs> like you know squeezing oh, them yeah, a little the, bit the, there's a huge branch of mathematics that's just parakeet packing algorithms <laughs> yeah we we found the optimal one and then somebody posted a different thing on Twitter and it went viral but it was wrong and that's why it went viral yeah, yeah. the original point about my uh, clown car uh, PC. The video card that I bought is three slots like wide and it takes up like by volume 30% of the case. Like it is absolutely ridiculous. And like the way that this is constructed is that you put the video card on one side, you put the motherboard on the other, and then you kind of wedge in the uh the the power supply where you can. Yeah, that's ludicrous. Yeah, it's uh it's really, really goofy and it's a weird optimization problem, but it's also uh you know, much like talking about 3D space, working in 3D space is also difficult because you're like, okay, how does this exactly slot in and trying to figure out? Do you have like a special pair of tweezers to work? Like, it seems like you would need 
tiny hands. Uh, no, nah, I mean, th- th- this went together uh, pretty okay. Like, it's just, you know, screws with this smaller screwdriver. Yeah, it seems like because, the, like, the all the sides of the case come off, like, you have kind of yeah. access. And the problem well, I have with small computers is, like, the, like, bending my hand and wrist and stuff in, like, weird angles. Yeah, yeah, I was just upgrading RAM on a regular-ass desktop PC, and it was cramped enough in there. In order to do any sort of maintenance, you basically have to, like, pull apart the entire thing, but this this particular case was actually, like, flat-packed. So, like, it came in, like, you know, a very, very small box, and then it's basically you had to build the skeleton of it, and then you put all the sides, you put on the bottom and the top and the sides uh, at the last step. I can't believe you made this into... Uh, call, a tie into the calculus topic like <laughs> it's all it's all area you know well, well what is what what is uh you know three dimensions but area in two dimensions and what is the jerk of your pc case um let's phone and what's the, a, it, what's it, the it, bar it, flirt it's, it's me okay it, it, yeah. it's me it's the it's the user uh behind the screwdriver and keyboard Je- jebcac jebcac but uh yeah the the, the the one thing that is kind of funny is just like, huh, I never thought about it this way, is that uh, the video card is technically mounted upside down. Like the PCIe like uh, like interface is like pointing, pointing up. So it, it's a little bit bizarre just from like if you're used to like operating in a normal, uh, a normal PC case. Like it's anyways, like I said, they are ridiculous and hilarious as uh, evidenced by... Uh, this discussion. I, I, I didn't believe it when I saw this topic, and I uh, had a good time. So, <laughs> ten out of ten. Every topic is a good topic. Oh, of course, yeah. The, with the appropriate amount of visual aids. You know what the best topic is? The next topic. Yeah, are we ready for that one? I think I am. What My else? topic is what's the deal with HDR? So I get the idea that like the human eye can see a much wider range of brightness than monitors produce typically. So, like, you can walk around in the sunlight and see extremely bright things, and you can walk around in the dark and see extremely dark things. And apparently, people want that in video games as well. Uh, But, like, I don't need my screen to be brighter, because it's already bright. It's already, like, there's white. I'm looking at the background of this blog, and it's just... Eye-piercingly... It's just, it just looks, it's like looking at a light bulb. And then, video games are already dark enough. Like, I already have to turn the gamma up. In order to see things. If the Xbox 360 and PS3 era were defined by everything being brown, uh-huh. are the twenty the 2010s and into the 2020s defined by games being just like straight up black and dark yes. all the time? Yes. And, but also you can like look at the sun and actually get blinded. <laughs> I mean, go play Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, I know people love that game and it's pretty good, but... It is so dark when you are inside some of the early tutorial areas. It is unreal. It's not really playable. I don't. Th- I don't think it's unreal. I think it's like a custom engine. That's true. <laughs> uh, but like, I p- tried to play that game on a non-HDR TV and just couldn't manage the early areas of it. And then I got an HDR TV, and I was like, "Oh yes, this is why the other one is busted." Is because they designed the game for hdr okay um because uh, like you could actually see stuff in the hdr version and then in the regular version where everything was like squashed and way too dark you just you could not see where you were supposed to go 
Well, you could probably see it if you like went into the settings and turned the gamma all the way up, which is what I do. No, no. Oh, never mind. So the reason the reason that's not true, what happens with HDR and the range that they're referring to is the gamut. If you think about like a like how color is represented in like on like a monitor, you have like zero to 255 basically. Um, and you have a bunch of channels of those to give you a bunch of different colors, but you're still fundamentally working with a small range between zero and 255. That's, um, not very granular. Yep. Um, and so like what HDR does is like, I don't know the specifics behind it, but it's like, what if you made brightness an independent thing from color and it, you, and you made it like a 16 bit float like uh yeah the, could... so 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 this is very similar to how uh like kind of video technology has gone up so like if you think about analog video signals you have composite which is you know a single channel for video and then when you get to s video you break out chroma and luminance into two separate channels and you get a little bit clearer picture and then when you go to something like component you uh split it out even further uh because you have the uh was it you have like the uh, green channel and the blue channel and stuff like that so like you're basically breaking it up or it's not it's not the channels that way um i forget what it was exactly with the uh with, with how component works uh i mean rgb like is the golden grail for retro uh gamers because you know you can see the pixels man but uh like with hdr it's kind of a similar thing where they're basically adding more bits to describe the color but um like to be that asshole um like it's all about area under the curve and it's like literally the difference between the darkest part of the picture and the brightest part of the picture and being able to maximize for that and uh technology such as oled like allow you to just straight up turn off the pixel to get that perfect you know the perfect dark versus having um like backlight bleed you know, raise the the, the perfect dark. Also, not unreal. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, that was rare. That was rare. But uh, but HDR is like a huge mess because um, there's different standards. There's HDR four hundred, six hundred, one thousand, and stuff like that. And also, the operating systems don't really have a great. Or I think Windows just recently got a little bit better about it. But uh, the other thing about this is that. Um, cables are just awful like hdmi 2.0 is a freaking mess just in terms of what you can do with a cable like you know can this uh, like if the cable's not rated to the appropriate spec you can't do hdr you can't do 4k 120 and stuff like that and it's it and they don't make it very easy to figure out like okay all along the chain what needs to be what you know, the monitor has to be HDR comp uh, capable. Your PC, it, you know, driving it has to be HDR capable. The cable has to be HDR, you know. Yeah, they recreated USB. Yeah, and that's the other thing is that USB-C is also like the same mess and a half in terms of the different speeds and, and things like that. Like, especially be, uh, with everything switching over to USB-C for like charging. If you get a USB-C to C cable there's a very good chance that it'll be rated at like USB 2.0 speeds. However, you can, you know, zap 140 watts worth of power down it. So it, there's also this weird stratification happening there. This is making me nostalgic for like the days when 
you know, oh, I have an HD TV, but all my sor- video sources are SD, so I'm seeing an SD signal on my HD TV. It doesn't seem that much better to me. Well, it's worse, you know. Like right. The early, like when you viewed SD content on the early HD TVs, it was real rough. Like it looked a lot worse. Like, um, and to answer your question about like why you can't, why can't you just crank to gamma in that case? It's because um, the way that they've built the game engine, the way that they're doing the their color, uh, you know, profile is that they expect to have a really wide range of values to use for the brightness. Um, and then uh, that, and what that means is that they can make stuff darker or the darker scenes are more legible, even though they're dark. But then when you put that down the chain that is normal and only has like 255 levels and is relying on the colors themselves for the brightness, you lose a lot of information. And so like you can, I'm sure if you crank the gamma on uh, like the like horizon when I was playing it, you just get gray. You just get like there's just not information there for you to see. Right. Yeah. It just washes like, out everything. Uh, there's a kind of uh, I guess I wouldn't say famous, but there is a YouTuber out there that um, you know does some stuff talking about technology and things, and he has one about the color brown, and uh, his argument was just that uh, brown is orange with context. Yeah, it's just a darker orange. It's like. I, th- I think in the future we're going to like the future man in a thousand years from now is going to have all sort like additional colors which are just like oh it's like purple but darker yeah like mauve <laughs> there's all these there's all these invented colors that's right yeah the, 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 this is also like kind of the uh adjacent to the topic about hdr but um like i didn't know this until quite recently but you know companies such as uh i want to say like uh pantatone i believe like the Pantone, yeah, yeah, that's it. So, like, it's not so much that they, like, oh, this is, you know, the Pantone, you know, cyan or whatever. It's more of, like, no, like, this is the color. This is the ink. This is what it looks like. This is a standard. Like, it doesn't matter where you're printing this from. Like, this is the reference point. I mean, it's kind of like the, uh, like the, uh, the SI units, like, you know, the, the standardized kilo. Well, that was always what Pantone was supposed to be, and that's what Pantone is good for. The problem is that Pantone decided to like uh, trademark their colors, <laughs> and then Adobe was like, "Ah, we're cool with that." And then they started like giving users error messages when their Pantone license ran out, <laughs> and like, and was like, "No, nope, you can't use this color right now." And it's like, I, "I can't use the RGB value or the CMYK value. Like, what are you? That is, um, that's some insanity <laughs> that has happened." Yeah. But uh, the, the deal with HDR is that uh, ultimately um, it's not a gimmick such as like 3D TVs and stuff like that. But it's also it's also a little bit weird because the the weird entry points and how they segmented it and also the implementations all over the place. Like I know that with the PlayStation, uh, f- uh, like the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox uh, series something like you can choose between uh, graphics or performance. So you just have all these weird like ways that you can uh, enjoy media. So I feel like my, my question has been answered, which is that you need HDR if you're going to play Horizon Zero Dawn. And that's what it's for. Yeah, I mean, for the most part. Are we ready for another topic? Yeah. So for this topic, we're going to do the poem Ode to Ice Cream by Vada Sultanfus from the movie My Girl. Did I pronounce that name right? Uh, No. But it's okay. Okay. Um, you try. Because, 
Yeah, you tried, and the whole point is that I get to talk at you guys about my girl for a little bit. So, well, first, first the poem, though. Yeah, let's read the poem. So this is by uh, Veda Saltenfuss, and it's called Ode to Ice Cream. And it says, I like ice cream a whole lot. It tastes good when days are hot. On a cone or in a dish, this would be my only wish. Vanilla, chocolate, or rocky road, even with pie, a la mode. Even with pie. Sounds like a cake fan to me. That's an interesting kind of thing, like, because usually that's like a plus alpha, that's like a better kind of thing. Uh, and in this case, she's saying like, I'll, I'll even uh, tolerate the pie yeah. being. Yeah, I like ice cream so much that I'll even eat pie with it. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice that on any uh, understanding, like or any of my previous like uh, playthroughs when I was thinking about this poem. Yeah, read throughs of this poem. Yes, um, but that's a good point. Any other thoughts about so, the? So how how old is Veda at the, this at this point? Um, she's about ten. Okay, a work in progress. Right. Yes. Uh, I mean, the thing is that Rocky Road, like my girl, is what ninety two. Uh, it's a little bit earlier than that. I think I will. I will look it up. Uh, so, but I think it's so, like 91. For a second, I thought you were like contrasting Veda with like a woman who was 92 years old. Oh, no, 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 then... no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I'm more interested in the uh, like how how old is Rocky Road ice cream? Because Rocky Road has always been kind of a uh, not necessarily a staple, but it's always been there. And I imagine yeah. a time before Rocky Road ice cream and uh, what horrors that would be like to not have, you know, both chocolate and a little bit of, you know, marshmallow. According to one source, the flavor was created in March 1929 by William Dreyer. Uh-oh. Dreyer? The Edie's guy? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Is he related to the Dresser Dreyer brothers from Indiana? It doesn't say in this page about Rocky Road. So, so, so I only bring up the Dreyer thing because I'm on the East Coast and it's Edie's over here. And on the West Coast, it's Dreyer's, I believe. Like, uh, like uh, Best Foods and Hellman's Mayonnaise. Ah, uh, I didn't know that one. That's interesting. Yeah, and people mistakenly believe that Carl's Jr. and Hardee's are that way. They are. But it's totally not. Um, Carl's Jr. did buy Hardee's, but they kept Hardee's as Hardee's. And so, like, they don't have Carl's Jr. stuff at Hardee's in the Midwest. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Hardee's doesn't have tacos or anything like that. Yeah, so I, I looked up My Girl, and I'm very sad to report that I was correct that uh, in it's not 92, it's 91. Uh, and I'm I'm sad because it's just the br- way my brain works with movies is that I just I I know the exact year and I don't know why I know the exact year but I know the exact year. Um, For and shame. So, See, uh, Letter Moulton, you know all all that Letter Moulton that that you read growing up. My dad was a huge fan of Letter Moulton. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, she's ten, and as Jim said, it's a, it's a work in progress. And have either of you seen the movie My Girl? I cannot say I that. I can't have. remember. I can't remember. I've I've certainly seen the cover, so there's that. Anyway, run, don't walk. It's a great movie, and um, this the the movie gets overshadowed by the fact that it's about a girl, and so a lot of audiences assume that they're not going to be able to identify with it. It's about some kind of like girl stuff or something. Um, it's really just like a coming of age story. This this girl grows up. Her dad is a mortician. And she loses her mom early, and so she, like, grows up being surrounded by death. But, like, paradoxically, it doesn't mean, like, she has a lot of good, um, like, philosophical thoughts about, like, the human condition. Like, she grows up weird because she's so close to the concept that she doesn't understand that, like, other people uh, 
think about this thing differently. It's not part of their daily life. And so, like, she grows up just seeing dead people every day at the mortuary where she lives. And so this this is a poem that she's she's in. She's a very smart kid, and I think she's in a high school English class, even though she's, like, 10. Like, she, she takes, like, advanced placement stuff. And uh, this is the poem that she writes. And everybody makes fun of this poem. Like, everybody is like, this poem sucks. It's bad. We don't like it. And uh, when I was growing up, like, I just, I just, I grew up around a lot of girls because I had two sisters. They had friends. One of the friends of my sisters, like, she memorized this and was like, I can recite the poem from my girl. And it's like, it's, it's four lines. Um, (laughs) I, I can play the theme to Jaws on the piano. Right, 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 right. There was this thinking, I don't know how common it is. Like, maybe it's just in my small circle of people. Of people being like, yeah, she was so, that girl was so dumb. That poem was so bad. Like, um, and my thing, when I think about this poem now, is that um, this this film is very much about death and about a girl coming to terms with, like, the fact that she will go through puberty. Um, she wants to know about a lot of different stuff. She doesn't have a mom. Like, uh, I think, uh, what's her name from Halloween? Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie, yeah, Jamie. I think Jamie Lee Curtis plays the girlfriend of Dan Aykroyd as the dad in this movie. Um, and just a really great exploration of just like a kid growing up. And this this is at the beginning of the movie. And it's this is showing that even though she lives where she lives, that she's just a normal kid. And then a thing happens in the movie that I will not spoil, but you may have probably had it spoiled for you by memes. Yeah, I definitely know what you're talking about. A thing happens in the movie that will be the thing that will give her that philosophical perspective, that will be the bridge between her being a kid and her being a young adult. And so everybody makes fun of this poem, and I hate that they do, because the entire point of it is to show that, like, she's a normal kid. And this is and this poem is fine. It's a good, it's a good poem. She, she likes ice cream a lot. She told us how much, and even as much as uh, you pointed out, Jim, she says, even with pie. That means she likes uh, ice cream a whole lot, you know, like uh, mission accomplished. She she did it. Uh, yeah. So like I, I just feel very strongly about this. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So so this movie came out in 91. So I'm guessing that it takes place around like 1990 or so. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's not important. Like what? what uh, summer of 1972. Uh, well, there goes my theory. I was going to say that the uh, life changing uh. event is that she got a, um, a super Famicom from Japan. <laughs> But, you know. <laughs> no, it would have to be an Atari 2600. This may be why people think I'm old. <laughs> is that when I saw this movie, I was like, this is modern day. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's a thing where my, uh, we're just like, so Gen X did not, like, grew up on reruns, but there wasn't, like, a lot of cable. And then uh, elder millennials had Nick at Night. And uh, so I grew up on uh Laverne and Shirley and I Love Lucy and stuff from the 50s and 60s and 70s uh and so like there's a weird culture gap where like if you put me in a room with like a boomer or a silent generation person I'm going to be able to talk about like TV with them for a long time but like a lot of Gen X people they ne- they didn't see it because the the reruns weren't those kind of reruns that they like I saw some of that but it wasn't like like Nick at Night was like at six o'clock Nickelodeon turned into Nick at Night and they started playing stuff from the 60s for like uh, 11 hours. Yeah. So I watched a lot of it. It was like Mr. Ed and shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, like Green Acres. I remember playing a lot with Legos and having I Love Lucy in the background and things like that, you know, when I was in elementary school. It's basically two channels. That's weird now that I think about it. It's like the, like the, 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 the channel changes formats when the kids go to bed. I mean, that, that's also kind of like the joke or at least part of the joke behind uh, Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. Oh, like sure. Literally all, yeah. the, literally all the bumpers are just like, it's out of the pool. It's time to watch, you know, Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess it's the same thing. Yeah, well, I think that was just it was just out of necessity because uh, it, it was very expensive to make a cable channel uh, back then. And uh, then it became a lot cheaper to make a cable channel. And so they, they were just able to split it. And so, like, uh, so uh, Nickelodeon did did split this, and um, but you know, if you only have one channel you're running and it's for kids, it it's like a very savvy move to be like, well, kids are going to bed or eating dinner, let's put on stuff for elderly people. <laughs> so yeah, my my wife always jokes that like I'm like an old person, even though I'm about thirty six, because I just have this weird knowledge of really old things and so when i when i watch my girl uh i it, this is the first time i found out that it that it's set in the 70s i just would have i would have told you it was set in 90 yeah i can't i can't tell you i mean i assume that's reasonable like oh like you could set a story in lots of different years and have the same events take place especially if it's only like 20 years apart just by like oh you don't you you don't have a shot of the super famicom okay it could be the 70s yeah or like phones right like oh she she uses a rotary phone like we had a rotary phone in my house until like 93 yeah uh, like all the lots all the decorations like all the cars from the 70s were still around in the 90s yeah my grandma all their furniture was from the 70s like yeah in a mortuary why not yeah all those people they've been dead since the 70s a lot of estate sales Yep. So how about My Girl 2? Uh, I haven't seen it, uh, oh, okay. but I, I probably <laughs> should watch that. Maybe that's an, that's an upcoming topic, maybe. But uh, yeah, yeah, My Girl's great. Go uh, run. Don't walk. Uh, please watch. I'm really hoping Macaulay Culkin st- comes back in the sequel to get stung by bees again. Hey, now, let's not let's uh... <laughs> spoilers. Sorry. Uh, are we ready for another topic? Yes. Uh, phone. Your topic is Metal, Metal Gear Solid Two is the most important game of 2023. Yes, it is, and it's also the most important game of 2022, 2021, 2020, 2019. Go on, and so on. <laughs> <laughs> now the uh, so th- this is a little bit of a joke, but uh, it's also kind of weirdly sincere. So just for context, Metal Gear Solid Two is a game that came out in 2001 for the Sony PlayStation. Pre-9-11. Well, post-9-11, because they had to edit a scene in it, like, uh, like shortly thereafter. Like, it was, um, most of the development took uh, place beforehand, but uh, at the end of the game, you're in uh, New York City, and uh, I don't think that the Twin Towers were involved, but I, knew, I do know that some changes came pretty late in the, in the process to kind of, uh, I would say clean it up, but uh, basically change it. And um, at the time, a lot of people like were just like, "Man, this Kojima guy, like, like he 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 must be on drugs, you know? Like, what the <laughs> heck is going on?" And the core of the the core like switcheroo that happens 
is that uh, Mirror Solid was beloved. It was, you know, really, really cool. Uh, you had Psycho Mantis, you know, reading your memory card, you know, vibrating the controller on the table. Uh, you had to go look at the box to find out when the codec, uh, you know, signals to go call Merrill and stuff. So Metal Gear Solid 2, it's another adventure with Snake. And you play as Snake for about an hour. And then you uh, play as this really, really whiny guy who just sucks, you know, for the next 10 hours of the game. But uh, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I guess famously, uh, like the longest cutscene in a video game is probably, probably Metal Gear Solid 4 clocking in at well over an hour i think it's like 70 minutes or something like that but um there's a lot of like does does that have like a scrub bar or could you at least pause it it's the ps3 so i don't know if they invented pause in cutscenes yet you mean ps2 <laughs> uh sorry sorry Metal solid 4 um oh oh no no so uh xenosaga had a similarly long cutscene that was uh maybe even longer maybe yeah, it, or maybe not i we have to fact check this but um the Xenosaga cutscene I remember on PS2, you could you could pause. There was it, it was definitely longer than forty minutes, and I remember pausing it, getting up, making pizza rolls, and uh, <laughs> uh, making them, and then enjoying them during the cutscene. Yeah, the the, uh, the the important fact is is that uh, uh, Kojima has a reputation for you know these weird games and like you know these nonsense you know weird political you know things going back and forth. And near the end of the game, uh, you find out that actually the guy who's been giving you the mission is a AI and it's actually, um, you know, this program that was instituted, you know, a long time ago and they're executing their, their will by control of information, you know, in the internet and things and things like that. So this was 2001. This is, you know, kind of right at the peak or just kind of right after the uh, dot-com boom there's you know a bunch of weird money going all over the place but in particular there's you know this very very uh, not very very long it's not it's not xenosaga it's not microsoft 4 but uh, there's a very very long uh cutscene that's about 10 minutes you know 12 minutes or so where the ai is talking about how controlling information is important and how you can shape narratives and how we're doing it for the best interest of, you know, for, for, for you and for everybody else. And it was kind of eerie, like revisiting this, like throughout, um, like, you know, get, like getting out of college and entering the workforce and especially in the 2010s and into 2020s, when you kind of see all these apparatus, uh, you know, control information, you know, through technological means and how you can kind of create a truth out of anything if you uh, kind of have the ability to shape narratives that way. So it, it's a it's a really, really, you know, funny and weird game. But uh, I, I always think about like how Mirror Solid 2 is the most important game of this year, you know, just, just in perpetuity because um, Kojima was weirdly ahead of the curve and kind of... Yeah, you can kind of write it off as a, uh, oh, you know, he, he was right once or whatever, but then Death Stranding came out in 2019, right before uh, COVID kicked off. So, uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I forgot a- about the AI part of Metal Gear Solid 2. And so I was I was like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Okay, Matt Taibbi. And then, uh, <laughs> but then uh, thinking about the fact, yeah, that the that there's an AI heel turn in that game. Uh, and then now the the current conversation is like, are these things that are not intelligent that are just algorithms? Are they AI? Um, 
it, and then also yes control of information and all that and i you know i i uh made the matt taibbi joke but there's just there's a lot of discourse around that entire concept and so um so i'm gonna give it to you i was skeptical at first but i'm ready to call metal gear solid 2 the most important game of 2023 well okay we could say it beats out vampire survivors as being <laughs> the most important game of 2022 but well that's 2022 what about 2023 but we've got like 10 months ahead of us for kojima's next game to appear that's true Maybe he releases, like, DLC for Death Stranding, and then he just, like, completely calls the shot on World War Three. Yeah, and then nobody's around to admire his, his prediction. We should stop him from making games. He may have the life of heaven, so we, um, you know, what if it's not that he's predicting these things? What if he's creating them? What if he's, like, actually... Yeah, what, like if, what if he manufactured COVID so that he would seem more prescient? Yeah, I, I'm just looking up the transcript. Unfortunately, the stuff I'm looking at is kind of bad. Yeah, nobody's talking about the developer leak theory for COVID-19. <laughs> well, uh, so so I know that Konami is kind of, you know, getting back into games after uh, going all in on Pachika machines and stuff. So, like, there is a good chance that we get a Metal Gear Solid 2 remaster, you know, this year. You know, who can say? Just one of the things that I do kind of like about uh, about the transcript here is kind of talking about you know these these weird structure positions so uh this is the colonel uh right and you seem to think that our plane is one of censorship right and responds are you telling me it's not a rose or like a ai version of his his uh his loved one uh you're, you're being silly what we propose uh, to do is not control content but to create context create context uh, Colonel, uh, the digital society furthers human flaws and selectively rewards the development of the convenient half-truths. Just look at the strange juxtapositions of morality around you. Uh, Rose, billions spent on new weapons in order to humanely murder other humans. The rights of criminals are given more respect than the privacy of their victims. Although there are people suffering in poverty, huge donations are made to protect endangered species. Everyone grows up being told the same thing. Be nice to, be other, uh, be nice to other people, but beat out the competition. You're special. Believe in yourself and you will succeed. So, like, I mean, I, I understand that I was, like, in the prime age for, for kind of this stuff, you know, blowing my mind when I was uh, a teenager. But, like, I've revisited this multiple times and just, like, there, there is something here. And, you know, back in 2001, it was just like, oh, man, this is, like, so crazy and so wild. But given time, just like, ah, I, I, I think Kojima was onto something. It sounds like this is a this is a sidebar like a, a tangent, but it sounds like in a very American perspective, like a very like nine, cynical '90s American perspective. And I wonder if it that's is. just universal or is it really well localized? No. So um, the thing about Kojima is he writes his dialogue in English first himself, ah. and um, he doesn't speak English that well. But he watches a lot of movies. And he knows what the dialogue should sound like in English. So he develops uh, probably with a writing partner that speaks fluent English. But the <clears throat> I've played all of the Metal Gear Solid games in Japanese directly. And I can tell you that, yeah, the English uh, is the first and most prominent language for that series and for Kojima. And the other thing that I can say on, in terms of perspective is that his perspective is uh, not any sort of ordinary like Japanese perspective. And also it's very different from like uh, the perspective, like it, it is similar to some of these perspectives. Like if you think about like uh, Francis Fukuyama, End of History, think about like uh, 
you know, Thomas Friedman, Earth is Flat kind of stuff, that um, you, you hear a lot of similar sounding ideas that use a lot of the same words and a lot of the same concepts. Um, but Kojima just, he was he got it right. <laughs> like, uh-huh. they kind of got it wrong, and he he called the shot. Like, uh, Inside Metal Gear Solid 2, like, it, uh, and I know that Dawkins uh, takes credit for the, you know, the creation of the word, or the creation of the popularization of the word meme, but um, there's a description of memes in Metal Gear Solid 2 that is, like, shockingly accurate to what we now call memes, and so it's, it's, it's sort of like, it's a, yeah, it, it, I understand why you might say that, and that's a good critique, and it's sort of like the Nostradamus problem of like you just predict a bunch of shit. Like some of it comes true. People call you a, a you know a psychic or a seer or whatever. But um, but in Kojima's case, uh, it's like I've revisited a lot of stuff from that I was you know Freakonomics or just other stuff I was you know taking in at the time. Just like oh man, I this was not credible. And then uh, <laughs> but like you revisit Kojima's stuff and it's like. Ah, uh, no, no, no. Like, there was a thing here. Like, he... He, he he definitely nailed the synthesis, is the thing. Is that, like, it's not so much, like, just basically parroting back whatever the popular things were at the time. Because, like, the, almost the universal response to this game was just, like, oh, man, it's so wacky. It's just so out there and whatnot. And then you revisit it, and it's just like, no, he's describing quite plainly like what memes are like using the word meme to talk about a self-replicating idea that can then also, you know, be transformed into, you know, different forms and things like that. I mean, to be fair, there is also the wacky shit like that's in there too. Yeah. He's also very horny. And that too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, he's called vamp but because he, he's bisexual. He, can, he contains multitudes. Yeah. I think because he's Japanese, I think he was insulated from a lot of the 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 kind of stuff that you're talking about Jim where you're like uh it sounds kind of similar to these other things um and it's one of these um maybe it's you know he's not an outsider artist to games he's a professional game designer developer right but like he is an outsider artist to like political theory yeah. and th- this is one of those weird things where uh he landed on a what i would say a mostly correct understanding based on the fact that, you know, history happened after that and it, it tracks, uh, you know, consistently a lot with what he was talking about. And so there's just this weird outsider political theorist uh, way to view those games in. Yeah, that's interesting. If you haven't, uh, you should uh, – first you should watch My Girl uh-huh. and then you should uh, get a copy of Metal Gear Solid 2 and play it. Oh, I've definitely played it, but like – skipped all the cutscenes because they didn't interest me fair enough you can also just watch them on youtube too i mean yeah yeah this was like in like 2002 or whatever so exactly yeah i hated that game when it came out you were one of the you know oh man this wacky guy just talking nonsense but like you actually like listen to like what's being said is just like it, it is a little it is kind of wild just you know putting a date on it and uh being like huh that's yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah, MGS2 uh sort of calls uh is sort of uh encompassing of the modern moment and then MGS3 uh it, with the Russia plot lines uh is like very directly about post World War 2 Europe in a very real and honest way even though it's a fake story. And then Metal Gear Solid 4 is basically uh 
a less it's, it's more pointed and it was not as prescient because it was about events that had already happened but it's a pretty decent parody or satire of the war on terror as a whole and like pmc stuff uh so and then middle gear solid 5 um you have just kind of all of it together in a way that kind of works and i think probably the like the capstone on metal gear solid 5 is the nuclear armament uh meta plot line involving everybody who's playing that game but it didn't nobody saw that so like it's hard to say that that was great it's the uh, <laughs> anti noby noby boy exactly yes uh that's all the time we have for topic lords uh sis would wait how does it i always forget this do you remember how this goes can you just do it um, so I think that you say here, um, Sisek Faber, uh, is there a place that people can find you online if that's a thing that you're comfortable yes, with? Yes, thank you. Yes, go. And uh, yes, there's a place that you can find me online. It's Twitter. I explained how to find me at the top of this episode. And then also, um, the best place to talk to me uh, is on the Topic Lords Discord, uh, where I have managed to not fall off for multiple days, and I've I've been able to post and talk to people and it's a it's a great place to discuss topics on the internet and so please go yeah it's got we got a bunch of lords in there and uh touch the brim with lords that's right it's brimming with lords uh and and phone if this is something that you want where can people find you on the internet so much like sisad kfaber you can find me in the topic of lords discord um yeah i'm also on twitter i don't post so uh it's not really worth mentioning but uh yeah we should hang out and talk on the Topic Lords Discord. I have uh, pictures of my funny PC to show you. <laughs> yes, we can we can discuss uh, how many parakeets it is. Of course. Uh, thanks so much for being on. Thanks, this was great. It was a good time. Thank you. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!